Life Audio. You are listening to Hope for Women with Father Wounds, Episode 43, Exchanging Father Wounds for the Love of God the Father with Blair Lynn. I'm your host, Kia Stevens. This podcast is for women who have experienced pain in their father-daughter relationship as a result of divorce, abandonment, abuse, incarceration, addiction, or a physically present but emotionally absent father. The aim of this podcast is to help you exchange your father wound for the love of God the Father. If you are benefiting from this podcast and think it might help another woman, I encourage you to share it with a friend, rate, comment, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. On today's episode, we're going to be chatting with Blair Lynn. Blair Lynn is an actress, speaker, author, and Christian spoken word artist. Blair has toured globally and is known as one of the originators of the Christian spoken word genre. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through speaking and spoken word is her passion. She lives in Philadelphia with her husband, Shailene, and their three children, Sage, Maya, and Ezra. And she attends Risen Christ Fellowship, where her husband is one of the founding pastors. You're going to enjoy this conversation with Blair Lynn. So let's dive in. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Well, hello, ladies. I hope that you are doing well. I am excited to be sharing a brand new friend with you for those of you who don't know Blair Lynn. I'm excited to introduce her to you. Blair, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me here. Same to hang with you. Yes. Thanks <laughs> for joining us. And before we get started, I just want to read a little bit about Blair so that you have a frame of reference and know who she is and can go check her out after we finish this interview. Blair Lynn is an actress, speaker, author, and a Christian spoken word artist. I'm going to let her explain that when I finish with her bio. Some of you may be saying, what is spoken word? So we'll educate you today. Blair has toured globally and is known as one of the originators of the Christian spoken word genre. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through speaking and spoken word is her passion. She lives in Philadelphia with her husband, Shailene, and their three children, Sage, Maya, and Ezra, and attends Risen Christ Fellowship, where her husband is one of the founding pastors. Awesome. Okay, Blair, so get us started and just 
Help us out. If we don't know what spoken word is, can you just break that down for us? Yeah, spoken word is just, it's another way to say performance-based poetry. So, you know, when you think about poetry, maybe you learn about poetry in English class and it was more maybe metered. There was more, you know, a certain structure. Spoken word, it is, it can be metered. It, it can be, but it's a little more free-flowing and it's about how you present the words. It kind of has a history or a base in oral storytelling. There can be a hip hop connection as well. So yeah, you go up on the stage. A lot of times people snap rather than clap. It's just a chill vibe. So yeah, so that's hopefully that explains it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And in fact, when I was in college, a group of friends and I, we would pile up into my friend's four-door sedan and we would travel to Barnes and Nobles on, I think it was like the first Friday of every night. And we would read our little poetry from our journals. Oh, nice. They had open mic night and that's what we did for fun because we were literary nerds. But that brings back memory. So thank you so much for obliging us. I'd love to kind of switch gears and just start talking a little bit about the circumstances surrounding your birth. If you would share a little bit with us about that. Yeah. So, you know, when my mother found out that she was pregnant with me, she was already a single mother. She had my sister when she was 17. She found out she was pregnant with me at 21 and actually decided that she was going to abort me because she didn't want to take on that responsibility. And actually, thankfully, it was she went and talked to a pastor that she didn't know because she didn't want anyone in the family to know that pastor ended up encouraging her, you know, not to go through with the abortion. And and so she thought, well, you know what, I'll give her up for adoption or I'll place her for adoption. And so, you know, she had me in the hospital. My father wasn't around because they were not together. And didn't have a lot of support with the for the for the from the family. There wasn't a lot of support because she wasn't married, you know, so having another child out of wedlock. And she said when she had me, I just stared at her, you know, like <laughs> she said, like there was something about me that I just looked at her and, and that just caused her that along with a doctor who said, you don't seem like the type of woman who would give her child away, caused her to say, I'm going to take on this responsibility. And so she did not place me for adoption. You know, she really sought to give my sister and I all that she could, you know, so sacrificing a lot because my dad wasn't really in the picture. He would be around here and there. I remember being told, you know, him buying bags of candy when I was really young, you know, but when I was three, my mom moved us to Los Angeles. So we were thousands of miles away from him at that time. So it's kind of a little bit of my early journey. Sure. So I wanted to ask you, this is not on the list of questions that I gave you, but did you ever go back and find that pastor and tell him, you know, you saved my life? You know, it's crazy because my mom didn't tell me who that pastor was until I was an adult. That pastor ended up being my grandmother's pastor for over 20 years. So as a child, <laughs> I was at that church, you know, and so but I had no idea. And, and so I didn't find out until he had already passed away. And so I would have loved to have been able to go back and thank him 
But yeah, I just found out this information maybe three years ago. He was already gone at that time. Always, you know, already with the Lord. Wow. But what a a testimony for him to see you every Sunday. I think that would have made me say, you know what? I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on moving for Jesus because here is a visual reminder of how God saves. He he snatches us from the grasp of death. You know, she's right here in my church every Sunday. So that's that's pretty amazing. So you didn't see your biological father that much. Did you have any type of relationship with him? Did you chat on the phone or letters, anything like that? Yeah, that actually was what our quote unquote relationship, if you could call it a relationship, was. It was a series of phone conversations here and there. I remember, you know, let's say around eight or nine, maybe having a conversation with him once or twice a year. I'm not saying that it would be every year, but when we, you know, would talk, it would, it might be a phone call a year or two a year uh, for maybe about five minutes. And the reason that I remember it so vague, so, so clearly was because when I was around nine, I remember thinking, this isn't enough. You know, I remember thinking like, you know, I long for more, you know, my, my father doesn't know me. I don't know him. And and yet I was afraid to share that with him because I felt like if I communicated that I was unsatisfied with the five minutes of phone conversations that we had, that maybe he would pull back altogether, you know, so that fear kept me quiet for many years. And and it wasn't until actually I was 18 that I had a conversation with my dad and I actually went further and, and communicated with him and I told him, like, you know, I've been afraid to speak up all these years, but, you know, the fact that you've been absent has had a huge impact on my life. And, and that was a really important conversation, I think, for for the both of us. Mm-hmm. I would think so. Man, I'm like at nine. What was I doing? I don't I don't think I was thinking about much of anything at at nine. You must have been pretty intuitive or I imagine you were a deep thinker if you're a spoken word artist, but you know, did you begin to make comparisons between yourself and other kids or, you know, were there other fathers that you saw that was causing you to be so uh, dissatisfied with those five minute conversations? Yeah. And it's interesting because there were other fathers in, in there was a particular apartment building that we lived in and you know, there were fathers who lived in the building and I would notice certain things like our neighbor, for example. I noticed that they ate dinner every night, you know, I mean, and, you know, I mean, it's not funny, but it sounds like, you know, I mean, I think just the reality of fatherless children often do struggle with with poverty and we struggled for sure with poverty. And so this family would she would invite us over, you know, to have a meal at times. And it was a blessing because there were times where we didn't have much there. But then there were things that I was unsatisfied with, even at nine, that I saw in the fathers who were in the home, because I saw that in that family, although they did invite us over, I remember an instance of domestic violence, you know, where the they weren't married you know, but they were, they had been longtime partners. And so to see this mom and dad fighting each other, 
Mm. And I remember my sister trying to go and help and defend the woman and my mom stepping in because she was like, you're not going to do anything to my daughter. And then I ran home and called the police, you know. And so I went back to this. <laughs> I went back to them. And I said, oh, don't worry, guys. It's all going to be all right. I called the police. And they were like, you did what? You know, like, <laughs> you know, and so it just showed that there was there was just so much dysfunction that I was aware of downstairs. I remember there was a couple who was married and they would get into fights and break up all the furniture in their house. So, you know, their three boys would be carrying glass to the dumpster every month, you know, so there weren't good models around. But yet, even though I didn't have many models, I don't know if it was maybe my viewing of television, you know, because that was really what was prominent, you know, to me. So looking at a Cliff Huxtable, looking at Leave it to Beaver, you know, I would watch Nick at Night. So you have all these shows from the 50s where you see dads and you have an idea of what you think based upon those shows a dad should be. And and I was unsatisfied. I knew, okay, I want my dad here, but I don't want him to be like these dads that I observe. I want him to be something completely different. And even though I didn't, again, fully know what that different looked like, yeah, I just I just knew it was what I was seeing. And I, I longed for something more than what I had. Wow. That's very intense. And I think, you know, as children, we experience so much that we are able to be resilient in the face of, you know. And then when we're adults and we think back on it, we're like, oh, that was trauma. Yeah, <laughs> That was a traumatic situation I just went through. You know, thank God for his keeping power. I want to go back to your 18 and you had this conversation with your dad. How was that received? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I told my dad, you know, that I was unsatisfied with him not being there and him not really knowing me and that I was afraid to communicate that to him. He said something to me that really shocked me. And he told me, he says, I've been afraid too. And that wasn't what I expected him to say at all. I mean, I thought he was going to be like, here's a superhero, the father, you know, coming in to save the day. And like, I don't know. I don't know even fully what I thought, but not that he would be experiencing his own set of fears and trauma and pain and he said to me that he didn't have his father in his life, you know, so in one sense, he was really just repeating that cycle. And and I saw from that point on, he did try to be a little more intentional about calling a little bit more, you know, in that year too, he had gotten married. So his life started to stabilize as well, you know, so I saw him trying to put in more of an effort. Can't say that there was still that intimacy, you know, or like closeness that I think a, a daughter and father could have. But, you know, he did, he did, you know, extend himself a bit more from that conversation. And it helped me see his humanity. You know, it helped me, yeah, understand like, okay, I'm broken and he's broken, you know. And I, yeah, I just wasn't expecting that to be his response. Yeah. You know, 
that is a gift that you received at that age. And and when we are able to embrace the reality that our parents are actually people, I think it, it's a gift to all of us. It It's a difficult shift to make when you are a child transitioning to be an adult. And then sometimes when you're still an adult, because you hold your parents in this place of perfection or you should be perfect or you should dot your I's, you should cross your T's. And then when you don't, it's like, well, how come you didn't? Because you're the parent. Right. But, but like you said, we are all broken. And so did you ever go to be with your dad to, you know, be in his presence and, and work on the relationship or? Um, you know, there were times where we would visit family. So we would go back to the Midwest. You know, my mom, as I said, moved us to Los Angeles. So we might go back, you know, for weeks vacation to visit with family. And there were times where I would go and visit with my dad. Or if I was going to Michigan, he might drive down to see me. So there was there was those times where I would see him. It was rare, but it was. Ultimately, like, you know, when I got married, I asked him, he did walk me down the aisle, you know, and now he comes and he will visit, you know, visit me and visit the grandchildren and stuff. So, yeah, so I do think things definitely improved, <laughs> you know, but I think it's hard when you, you know, so much has gone unspoken. There's so much to... There's so much to communicate and 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 in even knowing, I think what you were just saying, too, about the humanity of our parents, knowing what our parents can handle and knowing what you can entrust your parents with. And I think, you know, as I've gotten older, something that I've come to realize is the importance of of being able to see my parents for who they are, not who I expect them to be, even if what my expectations are, are just are valid, are right to say, well, who are you and what can you handle? And, and, you know, I mean, we'll talk about later, just, you know, our heavenly father and how that's transformed my view of seeing my father. But I think it's been so helpful to receive healing and receive even clarity upon my parents. That's caused me to be, I think, a little more nuanced in how I deal with them and address them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah, you're making sense. And I think that's where if you have a father wound, that's the place you come to where you say, okay, this is who my father is. This is what I wanted. And that that space in between, I would call it disappointment. And that's really where you have to run to the foot of the cross and mm-hmm. stay there. <laughs> Don't get up, up. you know, that I think that's where so many women who are wrestling with this, this thing, you know, called father wound on whatever end of the continuum you might find yourself. It's that space between who your father is and what you wanted and, and just accepting that what you have to do to live and to function and to thrive and to go on and have a healthy life. And, and so that, that void, that vacuum has to be filled with the love of God. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in how you, how you got there, how you mm-hmm. got to the place of acceptance and peace, you know, as it relates to, you know, turning to God. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, when I was 22, that's when I actually 
was born again. I had made a profession of faith at nine, you know, responded to an altar call. I was baptized at nine and was in the church and active in the church. However, when I was 22, someone clearly shared just very personally what Christ had done. And for the first time, I think my eyes were open to the fact that I could not or would not be accepted by God based upon my quote unquote righteous deeds. So I think I was very much, it's interesting because there, there are two ways to run away from God. Some people can run away to just like immorality and promiscuity, but then there are those who can run away. I think I, I saw some of the things that were in my environment of growing up in South Central Los Angeles. And I think I just ran the opposite direction. Like I'm not going to do those things. So I ran away from God through performance, you know, through trying to please God based upon the things that I was doing. And, and I realized, wait, you know, other people won't be my standard because I was so used to judging myself according to others and saying, oh, I must be doing pretty well. And you could look at them. They look yeah, exactly. And I'm not doing that, 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 you know, and I had right. my whole list in my mind of the things that I wasn't doing. And, you know, to to realize, well, wait, God knows and sees my heart. My heart is bare before him. Uh, he sees the motives of everything that I'm doing. That really humbled me. And and for the first time, began to read the scripture in context and and begin to learn who God is and what does it even mean to be saved, you know? And so as I began to ask the Lord for forgiveness for my sins, I was reminded in that moment that that's the reason that Jesus came. He died for sinners. You know, there's no shock, right? You know, this shouldn't devastate me, you know, that I'm coming to the reality that I'm a sinner. This is just what it is. We're all sinners. We all have fallen short of God's grace and we need God's grace to restore us to life because we were dead. So when I came to know the Lord at 22, it still took me time in that faith walk to learn how to have my mind renewed about who God is and about who I am and what it means to actually walk this walk of faith. And so it just took time. I think it was still performance intermingled in there. And I thought, you know, it's still about what I do. Now, I'm not saying that what we do is not important, but I didn't understand God's grace, his saving grace fully to sustain me and even to sanctify me and and that my righteousness was only found in Jesus and not in myself. And so because of that, when I came to the Lord, I looked at it as though, you know, God is has saved me and he is just tolerating me. It was just like, you know, okay, he saves me, he saves people and he's tolerating me. But it wasn't that he is a father who loves me, you know, who has lavished his grace upon me because of the work of his son and who has adopted me into his family and who, who has said that because I'm in the son, like he loves me with an everlasting love and he's going to glorify me with Christ. And, you know, I mean, there was there was that lack of understanding the richness uh, and the and more of the fullness of what salvation meant. And so it took a couple years to really land on, wait, God loves me. And God wants to be my father. Mm. You know, sometimes we just say, you know, we pray, okay, Heavenly Father. But to really like meditate upon that reality that 
I have a father in God and he is not like my earthly father. Yeah. You know, and when I was able to grab a hold of that and to still grow in that, right? I don't think we stop growing in that. It deeply roots us in, you know, who our father is, who he says we are. And that is what stabilizes us. You know, it's his faithfulness and his immutability, you know, that keeps us and sustains us and encourages us when all around us things are shaking and being tossed, you know, and we can we can have that stability. Something I, you know, I, I don't know if you know even more of my story. So a couple years ago, my grandmother passed away. And while I was at her funeral, someone made a comment to me. And in that comment, they were suggesting that my father wasn't my father. Lord have mercy at the funeral. At the funeral. Right. Oh, goodness. Right. <laughs> yes. If you're listening, I'm praying for you. Yes. You're the one that said it. I'm praying for you. Oh, <laughs> right. And, but what came out of that, so what was so interesting, what came out of all of that was me asking my dad to do a DNA test and to be sure and, and came to find out that my dad was not my dad. Yes. Clutching pearls. I know, clutching. You know, so my book, I walked through all of it. So it, you know, and so actually right before the pandemic, before everything shut down, I met my biological father for the first time. You know, so so now I have three dads. You know, I have my heavenly father and I have two fathers who are in my life. Wow. And, you know, so, you know, life will, you know, throw you (laughs) some curveballs. I was not expecting this at all. I never even thought about it. Actually, if if this person didn't make the comment at the funeral, I don't think it ever would have even come up, you know, and. And so really what has sustained me, because not, then not only did I have to deal with my father wounds and like meeting my biological father, but then also forgiving my mother as well. So I've dealt with a lot of forgiveness, a lot of, yeah, wounds. And, you know, and it really has been my heavenly father that has kept me stable and sane and forgiving in the midst of all of this. And it's wild because when I first started writing the book, actually, when I was first approached to write the book was like five or six years ago. I never would have even known where my story was going to go. But the Lord knew. (laughs) He knew, you know, that my, you know, there was still more chapters to be written. And yeah, it's really been the Lord's, it's really been the Lord's, him anchoring me, stabilizing me in himself Mm -hmm. that has kept me despite all of the changes sure happen. Mm-hmm. Woo! Wow. So I'm imagining that it's still a work in progress, the relationship with your mom, biological father, and the man who you thought was your father up until the pandemic. Yes. That feels like a little bit of a tightrope. Yeah. I mean... How I guess you said the Lord. I was about to say, how are you doing that? Well, you said the Lord. I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah. The Lord, you know, the Lord is the one. I mean, I, I've been encouraged by my the dad who I thought was my biological dad. You know, he's been an encouragement. I think through this season, and then yeah, and trying to learn and understand about my biological dad, which is it's wild too. I remember when my mom sent me the text of a picture of my biological dad, kind of once everything came out. 
And, you know, to see a man for the first time who looked like me, who and I didn't know his name, didn't know anything about him, but to see my features on a man, he just has darker skin, you know, and I was just like, wow, you know, but something that is, I think, so important for those of us who are struggling with these wounds is realizing that fatherhood does not begin with our fathers, our, our earthly fathers. And fatherhood actually begins with God. See, God, the father, was a father before Adam existed, you know. And I didn't realize that. I always, I think, looked at God through the lens of my earthly father. You know, so you've you got through that brokenness. And so there's always that that haziness, you know, through in the looking glass. You know, when you're trying to see the, the Lord, it's like something is in the way, you know. And I remember actually it was Ephesians chapter three, which talks about uh it says, From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It talks about the father of God the Father. You know, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, the father from whom all families on earth is named. And it just showed me that, wait, I need to see who this father is. Exactly. You know, if I want to have a proper definition of, of what a father is, I can only get in, in, in the Lord. And really, it's really healing. I think when we see, well, wait, what type of father is God? <laughs> right. And, and then. What we expect our earthly fathers now it should line up because they are they ought to model their heavenly father, but we know because of sin, because of the fall, they fall short of that call. And one of the things that has been, I think, healing as well is not only that I have a father in God, but also I have a family in the church. That has really transformed me because there have been times where even before we got married, my husband and I, my husband also has a similar situation. He didn't have his father in his life. He had a conversation with his father, similar to mine when I was 18, but it went the, the opposite direction. It didn't go well. You know, his dad didn't respond well, you know. And so, you know, it's really been the church and finding godly people, godly men, you know, who I can look to. You know, not to fulfill all of the homes, right? Not to fill everything, every issue that I have. The Lord is the one who does that. I cast my cares over to the Lord. But there are certain things that I am missing. And it's been really me reaching out to say, okay, church, because the church is called to care for the fatherless. It is so clear in scripture that this is our responsibility. And I don't think that we talk about that enough. We talk about it when it comes to fostering and adopting children, but you have fatherless children right in your pews today who needs to be cared for. There may be young boys who need, they need to go fishing with you. There are young ladies, you know, who need to know what it's like, you know, to be purely loved by a godly brother in Christ, a godly man. You know, who's not trying to take advantage of that right. young lady. Um, you know, and so I think the call is just clear that we should be a family. And it actually, the family of God should be closer than our nuclear family, you know, our, than our biological family, because we have more in common with a brother and sister in the Lord than we do our blood brother and sister if they're not in the Lord. This is true. You know, so... 
I'm kind of going on along. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it, everything that you're saying is so accurate. I think a lot of fatherless or women with father wounds, unfortunately, have been taken advantage of in the church. And, and if you're listening to this and that's your story, that's your experience, I pray that you would know that's not the heart of God the Father and that his desire is to heal your wounds, not to take advantage of you and your woundedness, and that there are safe places that you can go. You know, if if that's been your story, don't leave the church. You might need to leave the actual the local church that you are attending, but don't leave the global church. Uh, I want to say that the other thing I was thinking about is you were talking about just all the forgiveness that you had to do. You mentioned your mom. I'm just wondering if your mom's biological father fathered her, you know, because that's how we get to this kind of cyclical place where mom's not fathered for whatever reason. Then she marries a man that uh, resembles her, the whatever dysfunction she saw in her father. And, you know, it just keeps begetting the same types of scenarios. Did you have that conversation or are you at liberty to talk about it? Yeah, I can talk about it. I mean, I know my grandmother and my grandfather were married, but he died when my mother was young, mm-hmm. you know, so he wasn't there, you know. So, yeah, and that's the that's the result of the, the fallenness of this world is that it's like even when your dad could be there and not be there, you know, he could be in the home and be emotionally absent, spiritually absent or worse, be abusive. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, or you have a father who's dealing with debt, who's died or dealing with mental illness or dealing Mm -hmm. with drug addiction, you know, and that's, you know, you realize this world is fallen. Um, And Jesus said, you know, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, but I've overcome the world. And I think it's important to know, like, we are not responsible for the things that have happened to us. We're not responsible for the decisions that our parents have made. And something that I'll say, too, is we are not the reason that our parents made the decisions that they made. Oftentimes, as children, especially, we center the situation around ourselves. You know, our parents got a divorce. It's like, it must be something wrong with me or mom, my parents were never married, you know. But, you know, we have this idea, well, if, if I did X, Y and Z differently, then maybe my dad would be here. And those are all lies from the evil one. You know, our parents, they make choices because they have the freedom to make choices. And I think when we remove ourselves from that and we see it from what for what it truly is, and then when we become an adult, ultimately we have to make a decision because, you know, I say in the book that we're all victims and rebels, right? So we've all been sinned against, but now we have to make a choice. Am I going to then go ahead and continue that cycle of sin? Or am I going to say, you know what? I didn't have my father. There's a lot I don't know. You know, there's, I wish I had. Because not to just sit and say, if I had a dad, I wouldn't be dealing with this. Or if I had this, you know, these certain circumstances were different, then I wouldn't have to do this. We may have that moment, but ultimately we're going to have to make the decision to say, you know what? I'm an adult now. Yeah. And okay. What can I take? I can't take responsibility for what they've done, but I can take responsibility for the choices I'm going to make today. And I'm going to do something different by the grace of God. And the things that I don't know, 
And if I can't go to my parents to get those things, Lord willing, I have a community of believers that are around me who love me and that I love. And I can go to them and say, can you teach me the things that I didn't learn? Can you teach, you know, my husband, you know, there were brothers. He Teach me about finances. Teach me about stocks. Teach me about, you know, okay, how do, why do you parent this way? You know, what does it look like to love your husband? What does it look like to love your wife? You know, because maybe all I heard was my mom speak negatively about my dad. You know, thankfully, my mom never did that. She was very, you know, careful to not speak negatively about our fathers. But, you know, but just saying if depending upon your circumstance, just to know that it doesn't have to it doesn't have to continue what it's been, you know, because there is grace. All things genuinely can be made new by God's grace. And there is hope in the gospel. So I'm a testament. I'm a testament to that, that there is hope. And, you know, the Lord has been, you know, a wonderful encouragement to me in letting me know that I can break these cycles. Don't have to just continue repeating those cycles, but it's not enough to just say, I want the cycle to be broken or I don't want to do what my parents did. I think there's some very practical means of learning to cast your care. So one, I think acknowledging, well, what are my, what is my circumstances? You know, where's the dysfunction and the trauma and the pain and the hurt and the unforgiveness and begin to peel back all those layers, maybe even just like journaling out your story. Sometimes where's, I mean, it's, it has surprised me <laughs> when I've taken the time to just journal and get my story down. There was pain there in the deep recesses of my heart I didn't even know existed. And then to begin to take those to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I'm dealing with hurt because I have not been fathered in this area. I need you to feel me. I need you to heal me. I need you, please, to help me to forgive my parents for what they've done or what they didn't do um, or didn't know to do. you know, and just kind of step by step. And then realizing that forgiveness is not often a one-time thing, especially if your parents are still in your life. And those wounds are continuously being reopened. The scab is being pulled back. It's a continuous forgiveness. It's daily choosing. I'm going to forgive again. I'm going to forgive again. And having the wisdom and the godly counsel to know, hopefully it's a safe place, you know, that if it's not a safe place, that maybe you know, forgiveness might look like I'm going to forgive you, but I'm not going to continue to allow myself to be misused by you, you know, or hurt by you in these particular ways. You know, learning what it looks like to set those boundaries and, you know, to know that that is it's great to pursue our parents, you know, and the Lord gives the grace to pursue our parents. And there may be times where it's wise to say, I'm not going to pursue in that same way. Because let's say you pursue your father and your whole life is in disarray, you know, like you can't even function in life. You can't even take care of your family anymore. You know, your emotions are a wreck. You know, sometimes there's just unhealthy patterns and roles that we are so accustomed to that it takes an outside person to say, maybe reconsider this. Or maybe you need to interact with your parents in a different way than what you're used to doing. Write a letter or set some boundaries or set some goals. Mm-hmm. So, so good. And I love that you offered our listeners hope by saying that, you know, you can 
heal, you can break the cycle. And I think one important note to make is that in order to do that, you have to admit first that there's a problem. Uh, And I know for me, I I can remember I was at some event and they asked us to tell the tell our neighbor about our upbringing or something. I don't know. Mm. I was like everything was fine. I had a pretty normal upbringing. Mm. And when I think about that time in my life, I'm kind of like, you know, what in the world was I thinking? What was I thinking? No, everything was not fine. But it was just a veil of denial that I had grown accustomed to and just really couldn't see. But when we do come to the place of realization that you know everything was not fine. And I was impacted by the absence of my father or his physical presence, but emotional absence or, you know, his addiction or or whatever. He missed my volleyball game. He did not come to prom or, or whatever. Whatever it is that we were impacted by, we cannot be healed from it if we don't admit that we were wounded by it. So I, I think that's step one is is just admit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Blair was saying, sometimes that admittance comes through journaling. Sometimes it comes through counseling. Sometimes it comes through a small group at a church or the words of a trusted friend. But the the primary thing is we have to admit it and we got to be able to admit it to God. And the scripture I've been kind of meditating on is, I think, uh, Psalms 147.3 that says, God binds up the brokenhearted and he heals our wounds. You know, he will heal our wounds. But we must first admit to God that we we have some. That's right. Um, Can I say something to that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Because it made me think, I think sometimes what's attached to when we disassociate ourselves from our situation, sometimes it can be because there's such a shame. I, I think that's something that we don't often talk about a lot is that there's a shame associated with being fatherless. And, you know, and I think that's where, you know, when we realize that the Lord and all that he's done and sending a son, part of that was to remove the shame, like sin's shame, the shame that is, is, you know, connected to this fallenness that like you actually can be set free and not be looked at as the fatherless one, The abused one. Yeah. Yes, exactly. All the labels that we put upon ourselves, but this world puts upon us that when the Lord makes us new and then he says, wait, I'm your father. You're not fatherless. Mm -hmm. You you have a father. You You have a perfect father who will always be your father. You're not abused. You're restored. You know, I'm able to restore you and and, and I'm doing a work in you. You're not someone who doesn't have an identity because your earthly father didn't speak into your life. I have given you an identity. I'm speaking into your life and into your situation. You know, so removing that shame, I think, is so important as well that in Christ, we're free. We're free. I don't care if you yesterday you were doing one thing. It's like today I'm a new person in Christ. I've been forgiven, I'm redeemed, I'm sanctified. You know, the shame is gone, the guilt is gone, there's no condemnation, and I can walk uprightly in Christ because of my Heavenly Father. So, yeah, so I want to remove that shame for anyone listening. Yeah, in the name of Jesus, no shame, no guilt, and just knowing that 
our circumstances surrounding our existence might not be ideal, but we're not an accident that God knew and he wanted us here with the crazy circumstances or, or whatever surrounds your birth. God knew and he wanted you here and he's God enough to to hold us in whatever ache we might feel as a result of it. Um, you said so much, Blair. I don't think we follow the questions, but I know we've answered them. But I would like to kind of land here if you could offer encouragement to a woman that might presently be in your circumstance or like a younger version of you, what would you say to her? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, for one is to not lose heart, you know, to know, and even as you just stated, that the Lord in his sovereignty, like he's ordained our circumstances, even our hard circumstances. And I think you know, it's just like if you've ever gone without a meal and you know what it's like to rely upon the Lord and pray and ask the Lord to provide for that particular <laughs> circumstance, to provide food that you need. I mean, I think even being a fatherless daughter in the sense of not having your earthly father. And again, whether that's the physical absence or emotional or spiritual absence of a father, I think it creates in us a longing. And it's a longing that the Lord fulfills. He fills. And so I'm, I wouldn't, you know, change my circumstances because I know the Lord has a plan and in the longing that he's given me for an earthly father, I've been able to take that to him and find much more than I would if I had my earthly father, even in my life. And so we don't always know why. Our, you know, the situation has played itself out in the way that it has, you know, but to trust that the Lord is like he desires good for you. He hasn't forgotten about you, you know, that he loves you with an everlasting love. And, you know, he is working these circumstances out and it is for your good. And it is so that I'm sure you'll be able to comfort others with the same comfort that you ultimately receive. and. You know, that's that's my prayer for you, that you would be comforted, that you would be encouraged, that you would be strengthened, that you would find hope to know that, you know, you don't have to repeat the cycle that's been maybe laid out for you and that you would know that you have a heavenly father who will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. That was beautiful, Blair. You have put out so much and I'm sure that there are listeners that are wondering, how can I Find out more about Blair. I would love to, I'd love for you to let us know how we can connect with you. Tell us more about your book and anything else you want to share. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, kind of somewhat new to Instagram, but it's Blair Lynn or Twitter, or I have a website, BlairLynnPoetry.com. And my book is titled Finding My Father, How the Gospel Heals the Pain of Fatherlessness. And you can get that wherever books are sold. So Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, anywhere. And it's also an audiobook. So if you do that, you can listen to it as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Blair, for just the nuggets of wisdom that you shared, for being so transparent with your story. And then also just the encouragement that you 
offered. I know I've been blessed by it. I'm sure everyone else has too. So thank you again for just an amazing interview. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, episode 43, Exchanging Father Wounds for the Love of God, the Father with Blair Lynn. I hope this episode has been an encouragement to you, and I want you to know whether your dad is deceased, absent, divorced, unavailable, incarcerated, or you don't know who he is. Sis, there is hope for you. Hope to be healed. Hope to be secure. Hope to be free completely free. Hope to be satisfied with the love of God. Yes, there is hope for women with father wounds. This was episode 43 of Hope for Women with Father Wounds. I am your host, Kia Stevens. If you are benefiting from this podcast and think it might help another woman, I encourage you to share it with a friend, rate, comment, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Be sure and check out the links associated with this podcast so you can access several free resources for you. Also, for even more support, purchase my newly released book, Overcoming Father Wounds, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love, wherever books are sold. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope you will join me for episode 44, Exchanging Father Wounds for the Love of God the Father with Lisa Apollo. Hope for Women with Father Wounds is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.